back to the What's Your More podcast. Today, I'm joined with one of my co-hosts, Mr. Daniel Halverson from Bank of England. Thanks for joining us today for this much-anticipated lending update as we kick off the 75th episode of What's Your One More. Yeah, man, I had to get my hair cut before this. You're, you're, you're big time now, so... <laughs> Yeah, you wouldn't get your, your your wig split there for us today, man. Much sure appreciated. I'm acceptable for this. Yeah, man, we got a lot to discuss here today. You know, uh, we've kind of been building up and leading to this in the episodes uh, before this, a little bit with Dan Habib, a little bit with some of the student loan debt information that we talked about, and then we did a week in review. But, you know, as I mentioned in all those, this, this lending update is going to compile all of that, but also bring to light some other things. And, you know, one of the conversations you and I've had over the last couple of weeks is, you know, describing customers and describing like the mindset or, or maybe where they are in their decision making process. And, and and folks, don't don't get it twisted. Today, the CPI came out and it was very favorable. We're seeing tremendous market movement from that. And uh, this, this could be the beginning of something that we think could be a catalyst uh, to an even more competitive environment because right now um, we're already seeing tons of applications and we're seeing lots of credit pools in the industry. Um, we're just not seeing maybe the, the purchase contract connect with that borrower. But we are recognizing there's three types of borrowers that are out there. Daniel, you want to kind of tell us about which which borrower are you, man? Like which borrower is our, our listeners? Kind of describe what we're seeing out there. Yeah, this was kind of an observation of of just multiple conversations. But, it, you know, we're kind of finding ourselves in a scenario right now where um, there's confusion around the economy, right? Inflation, there's recession talk. You know, there's some people in some areas of the job market that are hurting, you know, consumer spending, we've talked about that. People are burning through their savings. But the one thing that existing homeowners have that's working for them is their house, right? Correct. And um, the challenge with that, though, is a lot of those folks want to access their equity or do something with the equity they've got in their house. So mm-hmm. there, there's really people I'm finding are, are really in one of three categories. They've they've outgrown their home or they have some other reason they'd like to buy a new house. Okay. Uh, but they feel like they can't do that because their mortgage rate on their current home is so low. Um, second set of people is they want to access their equity for something. They want to renovate their home. They want to consolidate debt. Maybe they want to do something, invest in something else. But once again, they feel like, hey, I don't know how to do this because I've got a 3% or 2 something interest rate right now. Yeah, they're kind of locked into that rate. Correct. And then yeah, the third subset of people is they would consider cashing out their equity and selling. Um, and they feel like, hey, maybe we're at the top of the market. Maybe I want to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, so really the question becomes, you know, where, where, where are those people? You know, when you're having those conversations, what grouping do they find themselves in? You know, and this is something that's really geared towards people, obviously, that own a home right now. But, you know, what I'm finding is a lot of, uh, there's a lot of people out there that have decided for whatever reason that they want to wait from doing any of those things. And when a customer calls and says, hey, listen, uh, now's not the right time. I know we've talked. I'm not interested in moving forward right now. I think that the natural response uh, for people that are looking out for their customers is, well, hey, I understand. Let me know when it's time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and for some people, it's not time. But I, I think that the the question that should be asked is, you know, well, what's going to change? Right. Right. And, and I don't think that it's it's not it's not intentional, but I think both people in the mortgage industry and the real estate profession alike, you know, they don't take the time to just ask, well, what's going to change? Why why do you feel that way? And how how are future circumstances going to get you to a point where this is possible? Right. Right. So if I want to go buy a new house, but I feel trapped because of my interest rate, you know, what's going to change in a year if interest rates come down? Home prices are going to go up, right? Um, so you pay more for that house in the future, 
Um, so how is how how hard is it to get a borrower to understand that? Like the rates come down, home prices go up. Like how does how hard how easy is it to get that concept conveyed? Well, that's the I mean that's the hardest thing that you could possibly convey to a customer, and you can provide them with real time data, but there's a you know, there's this notion of, well, I'm going to catch it before everybody else does. Mm-hmm. Or, yeah, that's fine, but your your home price appreciation forecast is hypothetical, right? Mm. Um, that, that's the hardest thing to really convey to somebody. And, and there's a lot of if this, then this involved in that. And, yeah. and I think people are biased to see the good in the situation of, well, now interest rates will be more affordable. But they don't necessarily see the, well, the 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 bad part of that, what could happen if interest rates go down is this. So, uh, so that's, that, that is a big challenge, you know, and then people that want to access their equity. I think that a lot of times, um, somebody calls, maybe they want to do a refi, uh, they have interest and then they get a quote from a lender and say, well, this rate's too high, right? I'm not <laughs> going to do this. And nobody takes the extra step to say, okay, well, let's talk about what we're going to accomplish with this refinance. Mm-hmm. Do you have other debt that we're going to eliminate? And I, and I, the other day I, I had somebody to rattle off some statistics, you know, average home equity loan rates over eight and a half percent, uh, credit cards are 21% right now. Right. Uh, used cars are 12 and a half percent, new cars are 7%, um, unsecured loans are 12 to 13% and buy now pay later loans are 21 to 23%. I mean, think about those numbers. Man. So, that is just asinine, man. You know, so people get locked into this, well, my new payment is this, my new interest rate is this. And, and you know, and for some people, it, maybe it doesn't make sense to refi. If, if right. you need $20,000 and you got a $400,000 loan at 2.5%, sure, that's not something that, that probably that you should consider. There's got to be another way to get what you need out of that from other financing products, right? But, but the, you know, the challenge is that you know, nobody's taking the extra step to say, hey, how do we... You know, what, what are we accomplishing with this? Are we getting rid of other interest? Is anybody looking at my total blended debt ratio? Or am I just looking and trying to compare seven to three and saying, well, that doesn't make sense? Um, and for the real estate agents out there, I, I realize, you know, that's a, a refi-driven conversation. But at the same time, you know, a lot of times people refinance to position themselves for something in the future. So mm-hmm. it is beneficial to put your clients in a situation where they can refi and accomplish some of those goals. Uh, but the other thing is, you know, hey, I, I want to sell and buy a new house, but maybe I'm six months out, I'm 12 months out. And, and we've had the conversation, maybe hypothetically, we've had the conversation with the client of uh, what's going to change. And we've talked through that. And maybe they are, for one reason or another, maybe it makes sense to wait, right? Mm-hmm. But is anybody is anybody putting me in a position with an equity transition plan where I can go from house A to house B and line myself up in the best possible scenario to do that. Is anybody talking with me about, you know, should I put more money down? Should I put money into savings? You know, do I do I have all of my net worth in my home, right? right. Should I pay off other debt? Nobody's taking the time to really line these things up so that people feel like they've got a plan. And then when people feel like they've got a plan, they're more than like they're more likely to do something. So sure. yeah, the big te- the big reason that this is in here is because I think that this these three scenarios really resonate with a lot of the lenders and, you know, real estate agents and people in the financial professions that maybe are listening to this. So these conversations really resonate and it becomes a matter of, can we put strategies together to give people a plan and give them some, some real information and, and not just surface level, here's where interest rates are. And, you know, I think that if we took the time to ask more questions, well, what's going to change, Right. And, and off the topic here, but if you've somebody that doesn't own a home and you say you're going to wait, 
And the answer to what's going to change is anything other than I'm expecting to make a lot more money in the future, or I'm expecting a lot of money to be coming to me through some other means in the future. Those are really the only acceptable answers to say, okay, well, it probably makes sense for you to wait, right? Because right. all the other excuses are, are not going to work in your favor. Well, prices, I want prices to come down. I mm-hmm. want rates to come down. You know, all of these other hope and wish things are not, those are not acceptable answers to now's not a good time for me. Yeah. And, you know, to your point of all those interest rates you described, I mean, that's a lot of interest. I mean, our seven was one of the lower ones there. But, you know, we often talk about in some of our shows, like, where would you put your money right now? Is it in a money market fund? Is there? If you've got equity, like you could instantly pay yourself any of those interest rates by paying that off. You know, and it doesn't matter if you're getting a mortgage rate that's higher than what you currently have. It's lower than those other ones you described, which are also not tax deductible. So, I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of benefits into looking into that. And uh, I think you just raised a lot of great points there. You know, the other one I kind of wanted to circle back on, though, was when we hear about buyers that are, you know, hey, I, I want to wait till rates come down or I want to wait until home prices come down. I think we're, there's a lot of people that are programmed by social media and you can see tons of clips where people are, you know, this this is me waiting on home prices to be what they were back in 09. And there's, you know, or, hey, there, there's going to be a foreclosure wave. There's going to be a short sale wave. And, you know, one of our previous episodes, I think it was like tips is we broke down why that's not going to happen. Like it's not even like a, it's not even wish thinking it's not going to happen because of the equity position that everyone's in that you described and plus the demand what what do you tell like i mean what are you telling people that are going i mean are you still getting people that are saying i want to wait or are they a little bit more i don't like the word um i'm not the, i'm not a fan of this one but are they a little settling into the current environment right now are they a little more adaptive to go all right i get it let's move on well uh, i think a prime example of settling in is last week you know the week of july 7th um mm-hmm. Or what is that? The week of yeah, July third to the seventh, yep. interest rates went up probably three eighths of a point, and mortgage applications for purchases were up. Yeah. So, and, and granted, maybe that doesn't all cycle through the system quite that fast, but interest rates make a move up like that, and mortgage applications for purchase loans go up. So, I think that there's a lot of people at this point that are understanding that the interest rate environment is what it is, mm-hmm. and there's still this upside. You know, I think very educated people still realize there's some upside in the future, but to sit and wait on that to happen, probably maybe not the best scenario for a lot right. of people. Well, you know, we just recently sat on a, um, a call, or I guess you could say a webinar with Brian Buffini and his mid-year update and David Stearns. And he said, customers are experiencing three things right now. And I think it kind of goes with what you just described, you know, fear, the news and social media has got them so fearful that the fear of missing out, FOMO, if you may, you know, my friend's got a deal. Why don't I have a deal? They've got what I want. Why don't I have it? And the third one was insecurity because of comparison, you know? And I think that kind of goes with that settling in that's starting to happen is to eliminate all three of those. The next step is to move forward. And that's probably what we're starting to see. And the closer we get to the end of the year, the closer we get to the tax season being complete, you know, there's a lot of people that are just tired of wasting money on rent. I mean, they're making good money, but yet they're not receiving any tax benefit by paying rent. Yeah, what did, and that same Buffini thing, I think he said 3 million renters making $150,000 or more annually. Yeah, that's a pretty absurd number. <laughs> so market specific, right? If sure. you're in San Francisco, you know, your income's going to be higher and your right. rental prices are also going to be higher. Right. But 3 million, I mean, they're not all concentrated in high cost areas, right? That's correct. That's correct. And I think the point he was trying to drive home is there's people making good money, affordable money to buy a house versus just renting, right? Yep. And some would argue, hey, listen, there's just the inventory's not there. I, I agree. We are seeing inventory issues. Um, but I'll also agree this. It's inventory issues based 
based on what you want versus what's available, right? And so, you know, we've talked about this too. It's also not a bad idea to buy a property now, knowing it's not your forever home, but you're seeing values go up. You could do that equity transition you talked about. I love that term. Never heard that before. It's fantastic. You could do that equity transition plan. Go ahead and put it together. Go, I'm going to buy now and a year from now or a year from now, we know rates are going to decline. I'm going to take advantage of that by transitioning that equity into the home that I do want. That might become available in the market, yeah, right? 100%. Because last time I checked, the, the inventory across the country is not zero. So someone can't tell me there's no inventory. There's tons of inventory. It's just not necessarily what you want right now because you, you got to understand you're not buying your forever home right now. Right. You well, know? and, you know, the reality is when inventory is this tight, I mean, all you're looking for is one property. If I'm buying a house, all I want, all, all I need to find is one property <laughs> to buy, right? So if, I, if I'm not in the game, then I'm probably not going to be in a position to move forward on that one property. That's so, correct. That's correct. You know, so, you, can't, you can't find what you're not looking for. Yeah. And then, you know, there's battling the investors that are out there too. And, you know, another popular trend that we're seeing come about for investors is down payment solutions for investors. I thought, I thought I would never see this situation, but talk to us about this down payment for investor solution. Well, there's two things here. And one of them is, is really just kind of a little known thing, but, and, and when I look at this, this down payment solution section, what I am often referring to is, you know, sometimes you got somebody that wants to buy an investment property, and maybe it's a husband and wife, and it doesn't make sense to have one of them on the loan for one reason or another, but they are the ones that have the funds available. Mm-hmm. And uh, traditionally on investment properties, the the answer that most people give is, well, you can't have gift funds on an investment property. Which We've is, heard that for years. Which is true with Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, but they do allow for specific guidelines for non-borrowing purchasers to contribute funds. Okay. They have to be on title. There's some other caveats. You know, if somebody has specific questions about this, uh, you know, any good lender or obviously our, our, our team at Bank of England be happy to give them some details on that. But it's something that's kind of very, uh, it's not talked about a lot, uh, but it is something that's out there. And it's a situation where, uh, like I said, maybe a husband and wife situation or, you know, maybe there's, there's you know, multiple individuals. You got one person that's going on the loan because they're well qualified and then you're, they're buying with a, a partner who is the money guy or the money gal. You know, so there's situations where that can make sense, where where you can you can move forward with an investment purchase, not have to treat it as gift funds. Yeah. And then on the flip side of that, for the rare situation where somebody wants to buy an investment property and they uh, are indeed getting gift funds, we do have non-traditional, non-agency products for something like that. So okay. we do have solutions for investors that maybe it's a situation where you know, a parent wants to help you to purchase some property and start building a portfolio and they're going to be gifting the funds. Uh, we do have solutions for, for that scenario as well, which is something that's relatively new. And it's something that we run into probably a good bit more than you would think with, uh, with investment properties. And sometimes maybe it's not truly an investment property, but the way we're having to classify it on the loan, it's, it's kind of boxing it in there. So there's a lot of scenarios where, where either of these solutions could make a lot of sense. Yeah. So if I understand correctly, if you're doing a, a traditional, you know, Fannie Freddie loan, as long as the person is not a non-borrowing, just on title, that person can contribute funds to the closing. Correct. Yeah, yes. That's a big win. That's a big win. Little known fact there, big win. So here's a, uh, maybe not so big win, but definitely worth talking about. And, you know, and I do want to preface that this law took effect July 1st um, here in Florida specifically. And there's other states that have jumped on top of this and are doing the same. Um, and, uh, you know, there's a, there's a documentary right now on Netflix about a little bit about why this law came about. And it's ironic that dropped the same time this law did, but specifically uh, about some stuff that's taking place in Michigan and some some areas that are being bought up by some of these countries that we're getting ready to mention here. And so, um, but I did want to give this caveat. There is an injunction 
on June or July 18th that's set to take place uh, the, that uh, two uh, foreign nationals sued from South Florida, the state of Florida, to kind of try to prevent this law. I don't know that they're going to win. I don't know what the outcome of that is. But what I do know is what we're going to talk about is true as of right now. So I did want to kind of preface that. July 18th, this could change. It could not change. It could modify. Who knows? But as of right now, that's where we are on this. So let's talk a little bit about this uh, Florida, you know, purchase reform, I guess yep. is what we would call it. Well, if this changes before somebody listens to this, then we'll just call this a spirited conversation. Fair enough. But what he's referring to is essentially a, a bill was passed in Florida that restricts certain uh, non-U.S. citizens, so foreigners from certain countries, from purchasing mm-hmm. property within certain parameters. Regardless of work visa, regardless of any of that. Correct. So basically, if you are a non-citizen, I think there were some exceptions for if you're a permanent resident. As well, but but and I I tried to I, I read a bunch did a bunch of research on this I even tried to read the bill and God bless anybody that has to write those or read 128 those 128 pages uh, yeah. that was that was rough <laughs> but you know I, so I got some conflicting information but essentially the the gist of it was these certain countries and you know we'll have this in the show notes um, but you know basically cannot buy any agricultural land. Mm-hmm. Or have have majority ownership in agricultural land, meaning farmland, anything of that nature. Correct, that's greater than really three acres on a purchase of a residence. And it's also restricting people from those countries from purchasing a home within ten miles of an airport, a military installation, or other critical infrastructure facilities. Super vague. And it wasn't it wasn't well defined uh, what a critical infrastructure facility is. And I also saw something. I don't know how true this is, but it it may be actually within one mile of a military installation. Yep. Um, and that wasn't expressly in a spot where I could quickly, quickly get that answer. But it, well, I, I just think it, the, the big reason I put this in there is one, I had no idea. One of our, our one of our guys mentioned it a few weeks back and I was like, are you, what are you talking about? You know what? <laughs> well, he actually had a deal that, that he had to postpone because of this. And, and I mean, the yep. seven countries are the, the bands are, you know, they're all either dictator ran or they're communistic countries It's Cuba, Venezuela, Iran, Russia, China, North Korea, Syria, and, and, you know, that, that pretty much is, you know, our, the, the deal that he was referring to was a person from Venezuela that was on an L1 visa, tried to purchase a property with a closed date of July 5th and was told couldn't do it because it was in a certain mileage of those areas you just described. Yep. And, um, you know, the, the interesting thing there is that infrastructure facility, critical infrastructure facility, you know, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of rumors swirling around what that means. Um, everything from a transformer for, you know, your utilities to, um, you know, critical infrastructure could be, you know, they, a, a bridge that goes over the water. I mean, there's a lot of vagueness on that and what it means yep. um, from that area. So um, it's, it's, it's pretty nuts that that's just out there, but I think we're gonna get some clarity on it after the 18th. Yeah. I mean, and I think that the big, the big question is, you know, who's responsible for oversight of this, right? Are we, <laughs> are we putting that on real estate agents who already have to be very uh, pointed in the questions that they can and can't mm-hmm. ask the advice they can and can't give? Um you know, are we asking real estate agents to, to be national security agents too? Is this a <laughs> is this a lender thing? You know, I, I mean, there are sections where we verify, um, you know, ethnicities. Yeah, and, but none and, of those boxes are available to check. Right. And, you know, and then or is it? Are we putting all that on real estate attorneys? Yeah. You know, so it's kind of this interesting dynamic of like who's who's going to do this? There's also no map I can go to and say. One two three Main Street. Does this qualify or does this not qualify? Correct. Where where are these things located? Right? Are we yep. are we now required to read maps for anybody? Uh, that we show house to, you know, as as a real estate agent. So it's just it's an interesting it, it's an interesting thing, and I always find it. Uh, I wouldn't say if this isn't humorous, but I always find it interesting that 
they put it, they pass a bill like this and there's no real guidance. You know, they don't have any of these resources. They don't have everything together. They just say, this is how it's going to be. And until we figure it out, everybody can just scramble around and try to speak intelligently about it. Well, yeah, I mean, it's obvious this is politically charged, right? You can see it in the, in the writing here, whether you agree with it or not. I think we can all agree it's politically charged, but it's my understanding that it's the title attorney's responsibility, because to your point, uh, real estate agents cannot ask some of these questions. We can't ask some of these questions as lenders. So it's definitely going to fall on the uh, the title agent and, uh, and, and, excuse me, title attorney. And as I was speaking with one before the show, he said, you know, there's an affidavit they're going to sign and, you know, they, they have a plan for, they do have a plan. Now, the question is, how do you monitor that map, right? Well, hopefully that affidavit's not being signed at the closing table. <laughs> might have some disappointed people. Yeah. Well, you know, I think that's, um, is, as I, as I chuckle and kind of laugh about that, the reality is, um, you know, I think that uh, in in certain areas of Florida, you have a higher concentration of those particular uh, you know nationalities versus in other parts of Florida. So I think it'll be you know I think in certain areas this is going to be a lot more uh, and cumbersome than it is in other areas of Florida. But till then, July eighteenth, you know I I could just get tied up further. Who knows? But you know uh, the, the thing becomes you know the reality is some of those nationalities come here on an L1 work visa. And for those that aren't familiar with what that is, that's that's the company you work for. Um, let's use General Electric, for example, because they have a huge facility here in Jacksonville. It's not uncommon for them to bring people from other countries over here to do specific work. And the L1 visa allows them to work for two years. The company files their taxes for them based on the W-2. So they're paying taxes to the United States. Um, they have the ability to go back and forth multiple times with that L-1 visa. And I mean, they're not a citizen, but they they do provide uh, a job that's being done here in the United States. And so I think the um, I think the challenge behind this law is it prevents that type of workforce from coming over here. And, and I use G as a specific example because I know for a fact they do have people come from some of those countries over here and and work and, and do jobs. So I think that that's a I think I think from a, from an employer employee standpoint and a labor force standpoint that could that that could be a critical component that comes from this. Yeah, and just like every every law, right? There's there's probably some merit to it for, sure. for certain scenarios. And then there's unfortunately a subset of people that get punished that are on the wrong side of this. And yep. hopefully hopefully they can resolve that in a way where it can be majority a, a win. But for me, it was more the interesting conundrum of, well, who's going to regulate this, <laughs> yeah. right? How's well, this going to be done? You know, in a continued conversation with that attorney, he said that if you currently own a home, like, and you're of one of those nationalities and you own it, you got it before July 1st, you just have to submit to register, to yeah. register, and then you know put put on notice with the state, and life's good. However, if you inherited that property from someone, you within three years you're forced to sell it. Wow! Uh, if you paid cash for that home and it transferred, you're going to be forced to sell it. So there's a, there's a couple of you know there's a couple of definitely you could see why people are in uproars because every loophole you can think of they've got, it doesn't really benefit you is what I'm trying to say. It doesn't benefit any of those nationalities. So it was a pretty harsh, um, to you said, there might be, there might be some uh, merit behind it or, or who knows. But like you said, there's always some people that get caught up in that and, and, you know, get punished for something that maybe that doesn't, isn't necessary. Yo, thank you so much for choosing us today. We're definitely not done with our podcast, but we are going to take a really short sponsor break and then we'll get right back to the show. I've been in the lending business for 20 years. I've seen many different lenders. During those 20 years, I recognized there's a difference between being an originator and an advisor. And the team at Bank of England is full of advisors. They take their time to understand your needs. They take the time to structure a mortgage for you and your family. And I cannot recommend them enough. If you're in the market to purchase a home, maybe it's a second home, maybe it's an investment property, 
or you're looking to refinance your current property that you live in, take a minute to work with the advisors at Bank of England Mortgage. They're a nationwide lender, and you can find your local branch at boemortgage.com. www.boemortgage.com. Because it's more than loans, it's people. Thanks so much for letting us give a shout out to our sponsor. All right, now back to the podcast. So speaking of... um you know, unnecessary. Let's talk about this one step forward, two steps back. And, you know, quite, quite frankly, for me, this one's kind of humorous because here, here today, we just had a major inflationary reading come out that was very favorable. Um, and, uh, we're seeing a win in the bond market, but prior to that, this, this was, this whole, uh, lending update was kind of scripted prior to that. So we're going to modify it on the fly a little bit here. So I'll let you kind of take this one and then, you know, we'll kind of chime in here with, with updates that we have. Yeah. I was joking with you. I think you just basically did the lending update last week with another, with another Dan. <laughs> yeah. uh, for those of you that haven't listened to the one with Dan Habib, I mean, he's he's the expert here. I, yeah, I, man, I check out episode 72. I'm, he crushed it. I'd be lucky to hold his lunch pail and talking about this stuff. But, um, you yeah, know, but but I guess first and foremost, let's talk about June, right? Because the, the update that came out was for June's data. Mm-hmm. And um, what was interesting is June brought favorable news on inflation. Uh, interest rates, not so much, but you know the the mortgage rates pushed back into the sevens. You know, right. just a few months ago we were pushing low sixes and feeling like, hey, our our, our predictions are coming to fruition, although slower than we were hoping. Sure. Uh, and then all of a sudden, now we're back into the sevens. What's going on here, right? And uh, in the month of June, headline CPI came in at 0.1 percent. Mm-hmm. And inflation went from um, high fours, 4.9 to 4. So you got a 20% reduction in inflation, but you got mortgage rates going up. Uh, so why why is that? You know, more, more Even more so, now you've got year over year, June to June, you went from 9.1% transitory inflation, right, uh, to 4% inflation. Right. And I say transitory jokingly, jokingly for those right. of you that haven't lived here for the last 12 months. But... Um, yeah, the the big thing with the markets is, and we've talked about, uh, you know, unfortunately, the Fed changes what they care about, <clears throat> data wise and inflation wise, every every so often. But the the big challenge with seeing rates improve over the last few months has been, yes, you're getting these big headline moves in inflation, but the core inflation is not moving as quickly to the downside as they're hoping for. Correct. Which means energy and energy prices are down about twenty percent. So. Maybe that's driving a lot of these headline inflation. Um, so core inflation has been a little bit more more stubborn, right? And it came in, it moved from 5.5 to 5.3%. So it came down, you know, we'll talk about July here shortly, but, you know, it came down, but we're not seeing it move as quickly, right? We're, we're now, now we're at 4% on the, on the headline, we're at 53 on the core. And the Fed's here saying, okay, well, the core is what we feel like we have more influence over. So mm-hmm. our policy must not be working, right? So, you know, you saw interest rates go up. You didn't see the reduction you would be hoping for in interest rates with inflation because the core rate has been a little stickier, a little more stubborn uh, on the downside. But the other the other component here that has continued to kind of be a challenge is we're not seeing the the weakness in the job market to the extent that we thought that we might be at this point. I don't think we know what we're seeing in the job market personally. Well, and that's a, you know... If, if you follow these reports or if you, you're a CNBC or a Yahoo Finance <laughs> headline reader, you know, you probably saw what ADP said, 497,000 jobs Correct. created, right? And that moved the market considerably 
to the downside. You know, what, uh, rates went up in a way that we haven't seen in a very long time in in a one trading day on a jobs report that has been quote unquote restructured, put back together as of September of twenty two. Nope. So you know we've had a we've had a history before that of consistent job reporting as far as how the metrics were determined, but on September twenty two, ADP said, you know what, we need to get it better, or we need more nope. accurate numbers. Openly admitting what they had was not accurate, which is kind of humorous because what we're getting right now from them is pretty uh, audacious numbers that aren't even in comparison to the BLS, and there's massive revisions that follow after that. Yep. Yep. So. You know, so basically, there's two there's two job reports. There's ADP, which is private workforce data, mm-hmm. right? ADP is the largest employer payroll service provider in the country, hands down. So they do their own report, and they obviously they don't have all the job data. So they take the the sample that they have and extrapolate that out across the entire country. So they say, well, we have this percentage of of data of jobs of of payroll. So we're just going to assume our sample size is accurate, and we're going to extrapolate that out, assuming that everybody else has the same data. Correct. So they came out with 497,000 jobs. Correct. And then, correct. And then, you know, the Bureau of Labor Statistics was a little bit over 200,000 jobs. Um, and the BLS report is is the one that is is generally more weights put on that. Sure. Uh, but like you said, you know, ADP basically took their job report, took it offline, said, hey, we're not really sure this is right. And then they came back, and and since it's been back, it it's wildly different than the BLS report. So then it becomes, well, who's right? Where is this coming from? <laughs> Who authorized changing this algorithm? Right. You know, seasonal adjustments. Who knows what's going on? But it's but it's way off. So, but the big thing is with the job report, the un- the unemployment rate went from uh, three point four to three point seven in May. Then it went from three point seven to three point six in. June. Right. So we're, we're not seeing, you know, in, unemployment is still kind of holding in that range. Initial jobless claims, they're not moving up considerably higher. You know, we're seeing wage, we're seeing wage um, pressure decrease in the sense that, you know, ultimately wages are still going, are still up on a year over year basis, but growth of wages has been coming down slowly. It's mm-hmm. just not, it's not happening quickly, but it's happening little by little. You, know, you went from 13% year over year to 12 to 11 to 10. You know, you st- so it's starting to come down. I think BLS, it's more somewhere in the sixes or sevens, the, the year over year wage growth. Right. So you're seeing wages go up, but slower. And then if you really dive into these job reports, you start to see, well, a lot of these are part-time jobs. There you go. A lot of these are people taking supplemental jobs. And those jobs are still here in abundance right now. But those also could be argued part-time is temporary normally. It's not permanent. Right. I mean, you're you're adding that job to supplement your cost of living, which is being driven by inflation right. and some of that wage growth you described. Or employers may be cutting back. Who knows? But you're having to get that to supplement. That's what that is. Correct. Yeah. And I would argue that you're probably seeing a lot more softness in the labor market for higher profile jobs at this point. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm a high-level um, employee, maybe I'm a, a manager, an executive, you know, I think those jobs were seeing more softening, but there's still an abundance of more entry-level jobs or part-time Correct. jobs. So, um, and it's just taking longer for that to filter through. And, you know, I don't think there's there's enough patience on the, on the Fed's end of saying, well, everything continues to go down, so let's just let it continue to go down, right? There's There's no reason necessarily... 
to talk about continuing to hike interest rates if things are improving. Why don't right. you just let them improve? And if they stop improving, then you still have that ace in the hole, right? Yeah, and, you know, I kind of want to bring up something here, and I'm, I'm probably going to say something that, that's going to get picked on later on. But in our YouTube channel, you know, and, and check us out on our YouTube channel, subscribe. But we have some comments on an episode where you and I started to talk about this. And, man, people were like – we suggested that, you know, day one on the job doesn't mean you're going to be the CEO after two years, but there was this pushback. It's hard because we talked about, you know, earning your right to get to that level, putting in your time, maybe taking on a extra responsibility, right? The way that was taken on online, there's a plethora of comments. People just, just outwardly upset at CEOs, big companies, basically using their people to get more production, to make bigger profits. And their thought process was, well, if I'm going to do that, I need to get paid more because you're making more profit and I deserve the right to that. And to me, I was kind of taken back by some of the ideologies of people because, you know, I don't know what companies those people work for, right? But I'm not saying like you're doing two jobs and getting paid for the price of one. I'm suggesting that, you know, taking on more responsibility thus shows a, a, a sense of leadership, not necessarily, you know, double dipping the workforce. But it was interesting, some of the mindsets. And I guess what I gather from that is a lot of people feel beat down by their companies. A lot of people feel manipulated and used by their companies right now. And, um, you know, it's almost like uh, that's why you see people shifting jobs, if you may, because they're unsatisfied with the way they're being treated or being paid for what they're doing. So they're jumping ships. And, 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 and you know, I think there's statistics that show there's like a, a, an incremental increase when you switch jobs. Job hoppers yeah, versus job, job stayers. Yeah, yep. exactly. So I just thought that was interesting because, man, boy, we had some fired up people that just immediately just took to that and was like, you know, if I'm going to do this, I should get paid for it because the company's making more. And I mean, the flip side of that coin was, well, the, the company may be trying to survive. Like, how do you know the, did you see the PNL? Have you looked at the numbers? Like, wh what do you know that, what do you know? Like, what do you know? And the answer is you probably don't. You're assuming that, right? And you're holding a stance and the company may not be able to pay you for that because the company might be holding on by a threat. Right. You just don't know. Well, I, I think everybody wants to be paid more, right? So that's sure. probably part of it. And, and that's obviously, we, we want people to be paid more. Sure. But yeah, the reality is more people want to be paid more. But, you know, if you work for a publicly traded company, look at your earnings reports. I mean, there's a, a handful of stocks carrying this little rally that we're seeing in the stock market. It's right. not an overall abundance of strength. And if you're in just an index of the S&P, you're probably not doing so hot right Correct. now. If you're not concentrated in the stocks that are, are, are performing, outperforming the market— you're not you're not seeing returns. So if these yeah. these companies' earnings reports were through the roof, then you would you would see that. You know, and then maybe well, a lot of argument. This this rallies from the AI you know era that we're jumping very into much right so. now. Yeah. You know, that's where a lot of the booms come in the Nasdaq. But you know, so that we don't get off track here, let's come back to hey, the CPI has actually come out this morning. Yeah, breaking news. Breaking news. Breaking news right? today. We guys. had a great we had a great reading this morning, which we anticipated coming. There was a lot of things in there that uh, we anticipated coming down that did. Obviously, shelter costs. You've heard us talk about that over and over again. Still kind of rearing its ugly head here. But even with that, we had a significant drop today on the headline and on the core. Yeah, big, big time. So we went from 4% to 3% on the headline. So a 25% reduction for those of you Huge. following along at home. Um, and then the core, 5.3 to 4.8. So big time. That's that's a big move. So you've got the you've got the CPI core at four point eight and the PCE core at four point six. So they're very much in line right now. Um, even though they measure things differently, the fact is they're in line. If I'm the Federal Reserve, I've got to take a step back and go. Wait a minute, I'm starting to see some things happen now. We've had a tremendous amount of rate hikes. We've we've gone from nine to four point eight and four point six. It's working. Well, and think about this. 
70% of the increase in core inflation was shelter costs. Yep. Which we know are coming down. Yes. And and we have we have crested, they are coming down. So and we've talked about it. I realize if you follow along in this show, you're probably like, yeah, but when's that going to actually happen, right? Well, we got to cycle through those 12 we're, months. We're, start, we're starting to see it. If you look at the charts, you saw a straight line up. You saw a little bit of an evening out on the curve, and now it's coming to the downside ever so slightly, right? Yep. But it's, that's, in, that's encouraging if 70% of your increase was shelter and you know that shelter costs are down considerably. Well, that would probably lead you to believe that the months ahead are going to be favorable, which is why the smart money, you know, every every worthwhile economist that I have seen talk about interest rates all say lower by Q4, yep. even lower than that by the following year. Correct. And those people are significantly smarter than I'll ever claim to be. <laughs> but if, you st- if you're starting to see it from everyone, well, they're, they're probably not just making that up. You know, these, these are the folks that get into these reports, actually open them up, right? Don't just read the headline. Actually open them up, see what's in there, see what's happening, look at the trends, and then you, know, you look at somebody like like Dan and Barry Habib. I mean, these guys are, are forecasting where inflation is going to be before the report comes out, and they're they, they were, were they, they nailed it. They yeah, nailed, nailed it today. It. So they're they're not just making this up and hoping and praying. They have actually have in a large part figured out based on what they can see where these reports are going to land. And I think you know this is speculative on my end, but I think that's why you saw the rally really start on Monday. Market was Correct. market improved Monday. Market improved Tuesday. Now today big improvement in interest rates, which offset a lot of the uh, the bad news that we saw in June. I mean, with a with a little bit of a run here, we could be coming back to rates that we saw in March and April that were a lot more favorable. Yeah. Now, now, are we headed to 5% tomorrow? Absolutely not. But we're erasing a lot of the, the, you know, the, the rates going up that we saw over the last four to six weeks. Yeah, the light's at the end of the tunnel, the writing's on the wall, whatever you want to say, people can see it. And uh, the other thing is this, I think that, um, I think now the the Federal Reserve is going to have to make a uh, make a decision, right? And all bets are on a quarter hike here on the 25th and 26th of this month. I still don't know that's going to happen, but I will tell you this, the Federal Reserve's policy has been a tightening policy over the course of the last really, you know, say 12 meetings. And inside that tightening policy, you described it earlier in the, in the broadcast, and I kind of want to point it out here, credit card 21%, used car rates 12%, home equity lines 8.5%. Guys, that is tightening of the credit policy. It is there to detour more spending and 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 less money making its way into the system. And so another reason why in this CPI reading the used car sales were the car sales were down. Well, they're down because it's twelve percent interest rate. You know, and new cars are at seven and a half. You said they're down because they're the the tightening policy of making it more expensive to buy an item is the goal. That's one of the major goals. And so it's working. That's kind of what I want to point out. It's working. And, and the Federal Reserve is they're not going to be. They're not going to be naive to that, right? And I think Dan even made it a point to say, hey, listen, the target rate at 2% is a number that was discussed behind closed doors, you know, between Janet Yellen and Greenspan. And it should have never made its way out. The stories have gone on. We've heard it multiple times. It should have never made its way out. And somehow it did. And now it's been adopted as their target rate. But a target rate and a comfortable rate are going to be two different things. And, and as, you know, we've discovered 3.3, 3.5 might be the number. 3.3, 3.5, and we're pretty yeah. damn close to that number. And I think this whole this whole ideology of raising a quarter, a quarter, a quarter, you know, three more times in the system, I, I just don't see it happening. Well, let's talk about real interest rates for a minute here. So, you know, June of last year, you've got, uh, or, or, you know, inf- you got inflation at 9%, federal funds rate. They just started to tick that up. But for all intents and purposes, at one point, you had 6 7 8% inflation and 0% 
interest rates on the feds. Correct. Now you've got five to five to five and a quarter yep. on the fed funds rate. And you've, no matter what inflation we want to look at, you want to look at headline, it's 3%. You want to look at core, it's 4.8. You got positive real interest rates now. For the first time. So you've gotten to that point, you know, and you haven't even given it a month to see how things go. So it sounds like the 25 basis points is a foregone conclusion. You know, unfortunately we can't get Jerome Powell to return our call <laughs> to be on our show. But I mean, how could it be a foregone conclusion? And, and it sounds like you're going to get more, the producer price index is coming out soon. It sounds like you're going to get a further reduction in, in producer prices, meaning that they're not, you know, the, 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 the cost, cost of, the, the, of the components yeah. are not going up yeah. very much, if at all. So, so why would you not look at this and say, well, it's not like we are, uh, we, we, by, by saying we're not going to raise it, we are eliminating the possibility that we can do that right. in the future if new information presents itself. Man, the only thing lagging here is the employment numbers. That's the only piece of this puzzle that's missing. Because I promise you, if those employment numbers, if unemployment was up in the fours, right, let's just say 4.1, and those ADP numbers were showing 100,000 growth, and BLS was showing 100,000, you'd have this finite, like, okay, the whole ecosystem is doing what we wanted to do right now. The challenge is that those numbers, call it what it is, manipulated, not miscalculated, so new we don't know what to, to look at or they don't know how to calc have, have a proper barometer of calculations. It is what it is. But the reality is that's the only missing piece to the puzzle of their entire agenda that they're trying to accomplish. And so remove that out because it's really kind of hard to look at. We're right there. We're right there. So I, I don't see this three additional hikes taking place the rest of the year. Um, I'm not buying into that. I know Jerome Powell said that, but I also know he has said a lot of things. I know he said that, uh, you know, 18 months ago that we need inflation. We need yeah, a lot he, of inflation. He also, we said, got it. he also said we had a housing bubble at one point. He also said we had a housing bubble. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. So I'm not buying into you this. can't three. say the B word unless you know. Well, and, and the reality is, the reality is, what do you expect him to say? He's not trying to send a smoke signal to investors of what's going on to manipulate the markets. He's trying to, you know, he's trying to set the tone, but he's not going to show his hand. And so the reality is, you know, you've got Mr. Bostic of the Atlantic Federal Reserve, who is a voting member on the FOMC. I mean, as of yesterday, came out and said, we no longer need to hike. So there's a voting member that just said, we do not need to hike. We need to shut it down and let this run through the process. You know, it'll be interesting to see an other Fed open market committee members. They'll all come out. There's quite a few that like to talk. He's one of them. They'll all come out and say their, say their piece here. But the reality is, I think that, yeah, I'm going to go back to what I said probably three weeks ago. I, I think that might be the pause heard around the world. Well, let's hope they read this report before they meet in July. Yeah, I'm sure they will. I'm sure they will. I'm sure they will, Dan. Well, hey, as always, man, thanks for being on the show. Always bringing great value, great content. You know, I can't thank you guys enough over there at Bank of England, all the wonderful stuff you're doing. Dan, how can people find out more about your team and the services that are being provided over there? Well, you can start by uh, listening or reading to our lending update, a uh, <laughs> little bit about what we have to say. That's but, right. Uh, you can find us on our website, boejax.com. Give us a call, 904-992-1000. Uh, we're on social media, Instagram, boejax, Bank of England Mortgage. Um, so however you want to find us, please find us. We'd love to talk to you. Yeah, and if you're outside the area, you know, go to boemortgage.com. Check it out. We've got offices all over the country here uh, that'd love to help you and kind of participate in, uh, in your new purchase or refinance of your home or investment property that you're looking to buy. Till then, check us out. Uh, share this podcast. If you like what you're hearing, please five-star review it. Leave a comment. Go to YouTube. Leave a comment. Subscribe to our channel there at What's Your One More with the number one or on our socials at What's Your One More with the number one. Till then, we'll see you guys on the next episode. Dan, thanks again for being on the show. Yes, sir. I got one more shot, I'm gonna make it. One more chance, I'm gonna take it. I meant it when I 
said it, now it's time for me to do it I got one life to live, so I put all into it, yeah